Good morning, church. If you have a copy of God's Word, I'm going to invite you to turn with me this first Sunday of Advent to Isaiah chapter 7 and Isaiah chapter 8. So Isaiah 7, Isaiah 8. This is the season of Advent. Advent is uh, from a Latin word that can be translated arrival or coming. And so it is during Advent that we celebrate the first coming, the first arrival of Jesus that we celebrated this Christmas season. So during the season of Advent, we eagerly wait. We, we eagerly anticipate what the very meaning of Christ with us, God among us in and through his son, Jesus. We also have a bifocal lens where we look near to us, but far beyond us also saying, come Lord Jesus. We, we anticipate your second Advent, your second return. And so whether we meet him in death or we meet him in his second coming, we during this Advent season are eagerly anticipating his work in our midst. And so we join with Christians from uh, what some would say uh, as long as the fourth century that have paused and consecrated this time before Christmas as the season of Advent. So we pray this is a rich, worshipful experience for you uh, this Sunday. Uh, we also begin our worship service by singing a, a song that was written by Charles Wesley, the great hymn writer, the brother of the founder of Methodism, John Wesley. Charles Wesley wrote hundreds, literally thousands of hymns, and one of my favorite hymns is Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. And it's just a wonderful reminder that the prophets of the Old Testament predicted the arrival of the Messiah, the coming of Jesus. And so we want to give ourselves during the season of Advent to, to four of the prophecies that anticipated the arrival of Jesus. Arguably the most uh, familiar of those prophecies are found in Isaiah chapter 7. I want you to see verses 13 through 14, but we'll reference the rest of the chapter and then the next chapter. Isaiah chapter 7 verses 13 through 14 reads, and he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? One of the most famous prophecies, verse 14 of Isaiah 7, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. The prophets of the Old Testament were not just foretellers, but they were foretellers. They spoke to a specific audience in a specific time, and they had a word from the Lord that would have been a comfort. It would have been a convicting word. It would have been a word of consolation or uh, even a word of warning. And I think it's important for us to hear the, the prophet Isaiah in his own time and then also hear the prophet Isaiah in the time of the coming of the Lord Jesus and understand how those two perspectives intersect with your life and they intersect with my life. The original audience of this first prophecy that we will look at during the Advent season was a king by the name of King Ahaz. And he needed to hear a word from the Lord, which is that our hope is not found in our circumstances around us. Let me say that again. Our hope is not found in the circumstances around us. Now, King Ahaz, living in 735 BC, he really needed to hear this. King Ahaz was the king of the southern kingdom of Judah. You have after the Solomon, Solomon's reign, you have the divided kingdom of the northern kingdom, which was known as Israel, the southern kingdom, which was known as Judah. Judah's capital was what? Jerusalem. King Ahaz, living in 735 BC, he had military foes around him that were threatening the very existence of Jerusalem. 
So the circumstances around him were not good. You had Syria to the north, you had Ephraim to the east, you have to the north, you had Israel that were all encroaching upon the kingdom of Judah, wanting to establish an alliance to fight off the Assyrians that would ultimately destroy Israel in 722 BC. So this is real pressure that King Ahaz feels. He, he, in chapter 7, verses 1 through 3, he goes out to the wells. You know why he goes to the wells? He goes to the wells to see how much water do they have left to be able to hold off the encroaching armies. It's there that Isaiah meets this king, King Ahaz, and tells him, hey, you have these armies that are threatening your very existence But I am here to tell you God is with you. Notice the very words of the prophet in verses 6 through 7 of Isaiah chapter 7. Let us go up against Judah and terrify it. Isaiah, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is imagining what the other military leaders would have been saying at this time. They were saying, hey, Judah's so small. We can go in there and we can terrify Judah and we can conquer it for ourselves, verse 6, and we can set up the son of Tabil as king in the midst of it. Then what does the Lord say? Well, the Lord says in verse 7, it shall not stand and it shall not come to pass. A powerful word because King Ahaz did not have the political might to be able to hold off the encroaching armies. He did not have the the political ingenuity, the military might. He didn't have anything within his own possession that would ultimately be able to hold off what was inevitable for him that was around him. The circumstances around him were arrayed against him. And so he needed to hear a word from the Lord that God is with you. Isaiah says, more than that, God is going to show us a sign. So that we are able to be able to see that not just word, but actual uh, activity in our midst is going to verify this word of the Lord. And you know what that verification was? You know what that sign was? What was Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14? Hear it again. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. There is a near term fulfillment of that prophecy. And there is a long-term, complete fulfillment of that prophecy in Jesus. The the near-term fulfillment was in Isaiah's very day. Most scholars would believe at this time that Isaiah was a widower. Most scholars would believe that Isaiah is not married at this moment. He had been married. He had had children in the past. But when you get to chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, you realize that Isaiah gets married again. And the very fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, is that Isaiah has a son. That the kingdom of Judah is not conquered. It is not destroyed. And that son is a son from a virgin who we read of, the prophetess, Isaiah's wife, the prophetess in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 3. Read it with me. And I went to the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son. Then the Lord said to me, call his name can we say big M? Big M. Is it, this is the longest name in the Bible right here. And there's so many vowels in this name here. I practiced the whole week to get his name exactly right. But I, I'm not that good. I'm just not that good. So they had a child. His name is Big M here. You see it right here in Isaiah chapter 8. That was a delayed reaction joke right there, wasn't it? So 
there was, there was uh, okay, so that's neither here nor there. So uh, Isaiah said to King Ahaz, take comfort. I have a son who is, who is born to me. Syria will not win. Ephraim will not win. We have a, a son that has been born to us. And Isaiah chapter 8, verse 8, Isaiah chapter 8, verse 10, names that son Emmanuel. That that is the sign that God is with them here. So here is a near-term fulfillment of that prophecy. But all of us who are Christians understand that the total fulfillment of that prophecy, there's a double fulfillment, was found in who? Not first and foremost, this son that we read of in Isaiah chapter 8, but God's eternal son. So that's why the writer of the gospel of Matthew could look back upon these words and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, take these words to say this in verse 21 through 23, she will bear a son. And Matthew's not talking about a prophetess here. She is Mary, this teenage peasant, penniless girl who will have a son and and she will truly have him as a virgin and you will call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. All of this, he tells us, Matthew does in verse 22, all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. What did Isaiah say? Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Here is Isaiah chapter 7, speaking to his own day, but also speaking to the coming of the Lord Jesus. And this is how prophecy works. There is a a foretelling that occurs, and oftentimes a foretelling that occurs. There's near-term fulfillment, but there's an ultimate fulfillment in Jesus here. How better could we describe the true essence of God being with us than the infinite God, his Son, dwelling with us is a finite man that that the very one who who fashioned the stars at creation would would learn how to count by numbering the stars that what we discover in advent is that god is with us emmanuel has come his name is jesus And it is a great reminder to us because King Ahaz needed to hear and you need to hear that our hope is not found in circumstances around us. Now, for some of you in this room, this is a word from the Lord that you need to hear today. I I doubt anyone in this room will ever be in a political bind like King Ahaz was in 735 B.C., But you know what it's like to have armies, armies of Satan encroaching upon you, stealing joy, stealing peace, stealing hope from you. And sometimes those armies, they come as a surprise attack. You waken in the dead of night. You stumble around looking for your phone it is just ringing you pick it up and there is the voice that is so familiar but there's a tremor in the voice that says come quickly there's been an accident and it's in that moment that we are wondering is there any hope in the midst of the circumstances around us it's just an annual checkup the doctor sees something sends you to a specialist. The specialist sees something even more clearly. 
and what was just the normal, going about your day, you receive a diagnosis that you knew others that have received it, but you never imagined that you would receive it. And it's in that moment that we are wondering, is there any hope for circumstances that are around us? We pray for a daughter to come home from a foreign land. We pray for a son to come home for a foreign land. But it seems as if our prayers are not going to be answered in our timetable. And we just wonder, is there any hope in the circumstances that are around us? And what Isaiah was saying to King Ahaz is that our hope is not found in the circumstances around us. But rather, our hope is in a God who is with us no matter the circumstances that surround us. That our hope is found in a God who is with us no matter the circumstances that are around us. The, The prophet Isaiah reminds us of a wonderful truth that God is faithful to keep his promises. One of the reasons I love studying the prophets at Christmas time is to be reminded of, of the great truth that our God is a God who at his very essence and at his very character is a God who keeps his word. It's it's hard to know sometimes if people are keeping their word. It's it's hard to know sometimes, is that person telling me the truth? Is everything that she is saying, is everything that he is saying, is it only up and up? And even those that that are closest to us, at times we can disappoint those that are closest to us, and we can be disappointed by those that are closest to us, because intentionally and at times unintentionally, words fall short. And what we say, we don't follow through with. Sometimes that's unintentionally. Sometimes we forget about it. Sometimes we don't want to do it. And sometimes what we said we were going to do, we don't do. And it can harm, it can hurt, it can break even the closest knit families. And you gather together at Thanksgiving and you realize that there's just an elephant in the room. And that elephant is dishonesty and it's betrayal. And it it has affected every aspect of what seemed to be so harmonious. And we wonder, does anybody, does anybody keep their word? Can I believe what he is saying? Can I believe what she is saying? Can I really trust what is being said from this person or that person? And I'm here to remind you in a world where people will let you down with their words, our God's character is trustworthy at the very essence of who he is. He is a God who will keep his promises. He is a God that we can look back and see he's kept his promises. There's over 60 prophecies. Over 60 prophecies of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me just give you a sampling of them. You see it on the screen here. The Messiah would be born where? In Bethlehem. Not just the Messiah would be born, but he would be born in Bethlehem. He would be born of a virgin, Isaiah 7. He would, have a, he would be an heir to King David's throne, Isaiah 9. He would call himself Emmanuel, God with us, Isaiah 7. He, along with his family, would flee to Egypt, Hosea 11. A messenger, John the Baptist, would prepare his way, Isaiah 40. A massacre, even the circumstances around Jesus' birth, the prophets, 700 years before, 600 years before, 500 years before, would be able to predict these circumstances. Do you know that this is proof that God keeps his word? What he said was going to come to pass came to pass. And this gives us tremendous comfort. At the end of November, the Powerball lottery is at $100 million. I'm not going I'm not telling you, I'm not endorsing this. I'm not telling you to go buy a ticket here. I'm I'm just telling you, this is a fact here. Do you know the chances of you winning that? It's one in 175 million. 
horrendous stewardship of, of resources. It, it's a drain upon, oftentimes, the, the, the poorest of the poor at times. It, 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 so we all understand that. But for illustrative sake here, your chance of winning that, you, you have a greater chance to become the president of the United States than you do to win that. You, you have a greater chance to marry a supermodel than to win that. You have a greater chance to become an astronaut than to win that. I mean, these, these are all what statisticians tell us. Do you know that to one person to fulfill the 60 prophecies that we have in the Old Testament, there are more than just 60 prophecies, but just those 60 prophecies, do you know the chances of that happening? Not just one in 175 million, but one in one and add 15 zeros behind it. Quadrillion is the number. One and one quadrillion. How did it come to pass? Not accidentally, not by happenstance, but by a providential ordering of all of human history. And if that God, God the Father, could send his Son to enter into human history, how much more so should you trust him with the pages of your story? How much more so should we trust him even when the circumstances around us do not seem to be circumstances that we can discern God's will, his way, and his purpose in it? If, if I listen to a meteorologist, if I listen to that meteorologist every day and every day he or she says it's not going to rain tomorrow and every day I get up and I walk outside and it's raining, I'm going to find another meteorologist. You would. I would. Thankfully, James Spann never lets us down, right? That's right. <laughs> you go to a financial advisor, and he or she says, do this, and then do this, and do this, and then you'll double your money in seven years, and then you get to seven years, and you've lost half of it. You'll find another one, right? If that, if that person tells you the wrong thing again and again and again and again and again and again and again, you'll find someone else. Here's the thing. You don't have to go find someone who will be dishonest to you. You don't have to find someone who, who you have to worry. Our God is a God who keeps his promises. Our God is a God whose word is true and it's trustworthy. And we need to hear that word. Especially, especially this past week. Many of you in this room have been praying diligently for Anaya Blanchard, and you've been praying for that family, and our hearts just break in this community, in this church. Our cross is up along with Trinity and other churches across Oxmoor and Homewood and beyond with blue ribbon that you're able even today to, to take that blue ribbon and to write a prayer as a prayer of solidarity for this family that is facing unspeakable tragedy and horrendous evil that we cannot begin to even imagine and words fall so short. So we as a church, we join with churches across this community praying, praying for God's presence in the midst of unspeakable circumstances. And it's in these times that we just cannot understand the circumstances around us. It's in these times where words just fall short. It's in these times that oftentimes I'm, I'm drawn to words that have come before us, words that have comforted grieving souls that have walked the road of life not being able to discern the circumstances around them in 1863, Charles Appleton Longfellow, who was the eldest son of Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, the great American poet, Charles, 
the eldest son, unbeknownst to his father, gets on a train and goes to enlist in the Union Army. Two years prior to his enlistment, they buried his mother. Tragic circumstances where her dress was caught on fire and her husband embraced her and tried to, tried to, to extinguish it. But to no avail. He was so burned. He was so burned in those circumstances that he was unable to attend his own wife's funeral. He was grief stricken. Overwhelmed, they had lost children as many 19th century families had lost multiple children at infancy and at young ages. So they were a family that, that knew that kind of difficulty in their own story. And here is Henry's eldest son going off and, and fighting in this uh, war and, and, and was just overwhelmed by this circumstance. And he made his way as the second lieutenant in the first Massachusetts uh, Calvary. And on December the 1st of 1863, exactly 156 years ago to this day, the father, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, received a telegram saying that his eldest son had been wounded in battle. And his prognosis was not good. At best, maybe he would be paralyzed from the waist down. So that's what he received on December the 1st. A few weeks later, he sat down as a 57-year-old widower who was wondering about the ability of his son to ever walk again, overwhelmed by grief, and he penned these Words with carols playing in the background with the ringing of the Christmas bells on Christmas Day. He penned these words. I heard the bells on Christmas Day. They're old Thank you. 
And so, Dawson, this first Sunday of Advent, the circumstances around you very well may be circumstances where you cannot discern the hope and the presence of God. It very well may be that you are tempted to despair, that you're tempted to disbelief, that you're tempted to be distraught in the midst of uh, circumstances that you cannot fix, that you seem to be powerless over, that have names like disease and death and depression. And it seems to be that hopelessness is all around you. I'm here to remind you this first Sunday of Advent that God is with you no matter the circumstances around you. That the power of the Christian gospel is this, God is with us. That that first Christmas is a story of God's infinite son coming to live here upon the earth, living a perfect life, healing, teaching, being crucified on a cruel, coarse Roman cross for your sins, for my sins, being raised on the third day to defeat hell, sin, and the grave. And for every person who would trust in his finished work so you would have the hope. You would have the hope of the ascended Lord Jesus who sent his spirit to do what? To comfort us, to guide us, to dwell us, to seal us with the promised spirit. So here is the hope. No matter the circumstances around you, you are not alone. God is with you. God is for you. And even in the midst where the circumstances around you are dark and dire, then we say, then peel the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fell. The right will prevail with peace on earth and goodwill to men. Let us pray. So it is, God, that we at times need your vision, your vision, because at times we cannot see the circumstances around us and how they array to provide any sense of hope. We can feel that 
hopelessness is encroaching upon us, knocking upon our very door, threatening, taunting. And so we find our hope not in our circumstances around us, but we find our hope in the truth that you, God, are with us and you have promised to never leave us nor forsake us. That for every follower of Jesus in this room, that we have hope no matter the direst of circumstances. And may we, in days that, in communities that need that hope, may we point people to the true source of hope, your Son and our Savior, the one who has prophesied in Isaiah, a reminder that you, God, keep your promises. We pray this in the name of your Son and our Savior Jesus. Amen.